I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Let's begin our worship in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, we come into thy presence, we come to worship thee, the great God, the one true and living God. We remember that thy ways are great, far beyond our power fully to comprehend. And yet how we thank thee that thou dost look down upon sinful men and women, young people as we are, and that thou dost uh, desire to save a people for thyself. We thank thee that as we come, we have in our possession thy written word, this revelation of thyself. O Lord, we pray that as we read it together and seek to understand its truth, that thou would apply it to our hearts, each one. O Lord, we come with many uh, cares and thoughts and concerns. We pray that in this hour of worship and as we gather around thy word, we may be able to focus entirely upon thee and that the things of time may for a moment be forgotten and that the destiny of our eternal souls and the love of the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, may be central in all of our thoughts. Come, we pray, and receive our worship and bless each one, for we ask in the precious name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our first hymn this morning is the hymn number 56. Hymn number 56, Command Thy Blessing from Above.
turn for our scripture reading to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 22. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. And we begin to read at verse 23. The same day came to him, that is, to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife, and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise the second also, and the third unto the seventh, and last of all the woman died also. Therefore in the resurrection whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry, nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto, unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, how then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. May the Lord add his own blessing to that reading from his holy word. Our second hymn is the hymn number 331, based upon Psalm 19. Hymn 331, the heavens declare thy glory, Lord.
let's come again to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we turn once more again unto thee in prayer. We thank thee for this privilege that we have of speaking with thee, of crying out to thee in all our needs, and knowing that thou dost hear from on high and dost send down these wonderful answers to our prayers. O oh Lord, we thank thee that as we come, we do not have to bring anything of ourselves, indeed any imagined goodness or righteousness that we may feel ourselves to possess in thy sight is but as filthy rags. We come therefore not looking to ourselves, but trusting in the finished work of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee that he shed his blood on Calvary's cross so that sin could be forgiven, so that that way of access unto thee so hidden before, could be opened up wide, and that as we come trusting in all that he has done, we know that thou art receivest. We thank thee that though we use human words, our words though are so inadequate to express uh, the worthiness of thy great and glorious name, and we thank thee that we have the gracious aid of the Holy Spirit, who takes our words and expresses them in the very language of heaven itself, so that they are acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, therefore receive us as we present ourselves before thee this morning. Look down upon us in all the different needs and circumstances that we represent, and bless us, each one. O Lord, for any who gather with us, who have no certainty that thou hast washed them of their sins, that thou hast pardoned and cleansed them and given them new life, we pray that thou come and that thou bless with salvation. And as we consider again this morning the glorious gospel of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray that thou deal with us and show us his beauty, show us his glory, show us something of the wonder of all that he was prepared to do so that we could be set free from the guilt and condemnation of sin. And may this be for some lost and needy soul, that time of turning unto thee. And, O oh Lord, for all of us who are thy children, who know what it is to walk with thee, who have been brought to an end of ourselves and seen in the Lord Jesus Christ the only hope for our soul, O oh Lord, we pray that we may love him ever uh, increasingly, all the more, even as a result of our meeting together today, may we be given a fresh sight of the Saviour and his love, not only for all of the lost, but for us as individuals. And may our hearts be drawn out to him in that uh, reflective love as we uh, express our devotion, our affection, and our total dependence upon the Saviour afresh. O oh Lord, we do pray that thou bless us and prepare us for the days that are before us. Lord, we commit into thy hands the days of this week to come. We thank thee that our ways are prepared by thee. Thou dost know the end from the beginning. Thou dost know all things through which we will be called to face in this week to come. 
We therefore come and we desire that we may be those who trust thee. Help us, we pray, as we look perhaps into days of uncertainty, days where we have many concerns. O Lord, that we may trust the hours and the days of this week into thy care, that we may prove thy mighty power, that we may be those who are prayerful and seeking thy guidance and thy blessing, that we may see wonderful answers, that we may be surprised afresh as we see uh, the pathway unfold before us. O Lord, if the days to come should be days of happiness, days of joy and prosperity, we pray that we may be those who give all the praise and all the glory unto thee, that we take none of it unto ourselves. But Lord, we pray that these days to come may be days when along our Christian pathway we may grow. We pray that these may be days of victory over our besetting sins. And we think of those sins that so easily draw us aside and so easily mar our testimony. And even in this past week, O oh Lord, so often we have let thee down. We thank thee for uh, the, those times of forgiveness and of restoration. And Lord, we pray that in this week to come, we may seek thy strength and power to do battle with our besetting sins, that we may truly be said to advance in character and in every sphere in which we operate our lives in this week to come, that we may live as thy people ought to do. We pray particularly that we may have opportunity to tell others of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ to us and point the way to the cross. O oh Lord, in our family, we pray that we may be consistent in our lives and that the things that we say may be matched by our conduct, by our demeanour, by our handling of all the affairs through which we go through. O oh Lord, bless us where we go to work, among those with whom we study, among our neighbours and our friends. O oh Lord, we pray that we may have such a love for the lost, that we may be concerned to see them brought face to face with the truth of thy word, that we may appeal to them to consider the destiny of their souls, and that our testimony may be wonderfully used. Go before us, we pray. O oh Lord, prepare the hearts of those with whom we have contact, and do a mighty work. O oh Lord, we pray. We thank thee that thou hast called us to serve together with others of thy people in local churches. And we pray for this church. We pray for all associated with it. All who have come under the influence of the ministry here over so many years now. O oh Lord, we pray that thou bless thy people here and extend thy kingdom in this part of thy vineyard. We pray that this may be a beacon light of hope, of eternity, for this local community. We think of all who live around this place, perhaps passing yet scarcely aware of what goes on inside these walls. Oh Lord, bless thy people. May they see wonderful encouragements as people are drawn in and sinners are brought face to face with their need of the Saviour. Lord, we pray that this may be a place of spiritual birth for many. Oh Lord, we ask that thou do this mighty work. We thank thee that we do not stand alone, 
but that we uh, know so many other churches and chapels up and down this land, seeking, even as we do, to be faithful to thy word and declaring the unsearchable riches of Christ. Be with all such, we pray today. Bless them as they gather. We pray that whether numbers are large or small, that this may be a time of blessing for thy people and the calling in of thine elect. O Lord, come, we pray, and do mighty things. We see in our land and nation a turning away from the things of thy word. We see a trampling underfoot of holy and high principle. We see the establishment, even in law, of so much that is opposed to thy revealed truth. O Lord, we see a land standing ripe for judgment. And yet, O Lord, we call upon thee, we plead with thee, that thou come in saving power. O Lord, surely, if thou dost restore uh, the fortunes of thy church and res uh, build up again the number of those who love and respect thee and call out many of thine elect, O Lord, surely all the power will be of thee. For we are weak. We, are, we have no influence. O Lord, come, we pray, in saving power and do a mighty work. And, o Lord, we pray that thou bless thy people in other lands, those who labor for thee in, often in great difficulty. Be with them and uphold them and keep them, we pray. O Lord, where there are great challenges, we pray that thou give wisdom. O Lord, where there are difficulties and opposition, we pray that thou protect thy people and be with them. O Lord, and in every place, preaching the same gospel message as we preach here, O oh Lord, we pray that they may see an increase and fruit for their labours. Bless, we pray. O oh Lord, we do pray for one another in all the different needs that we represent. We pray for those who, even at this present time, are sick. Those, perhaps, who would love to have been able to join with us for worship this morning, but have been kept at home by ill health or the frailty of old age. Bless them, we pray, where they are. Draw near to them, and as they call upon thee in prayer, O Lord, we pray that they may know that thou art near to them. And if it pleases thee, that thou raise them again to full health and strength. Bless those who are anxious. Bless those who have practical and material concerns. We thank thee that we may bring all these things unto thee, and have so often proved thy mighty power, as we have seen changes in all of our circumstances. And, O oh Lord, therefore we come when we seek to pray in faith that thou bless in every situation of need. And now as we turn to thy word, do prepare us to receive it and to receive it gladly. O oh Lord, if it should touch upon an aspect of our lives which is faulty, we pray that we may have uh, that sensitivity of conscience that concern to be right with thee. O Lord, we pray that we may receive the encouragements of thy word. And where there is need of salvation, O Lord, we pray that thou come in convicting power, that thou show us the reality of spiritual things, and that we may desire to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We may desire to have our sins forgiven, and that certainty that we are on the highway to eternal glory. So speak to us through thy word. 
Seal it in our hearts by thy Spirit and glorify in our midst our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. For we pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. Our next hymn is the hymn number 327. Hymn 327. Lord, thy word abideth and our footstep skydeth. It's a great joy to be with you again and uh, to have and renew fellowship with you. Let's turn this morning to that portion that we read for our scripture reading, Matthew chapter 22, and our focus will be on that question asked by the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 42. What think ye of Christ? What think ye of Christ? And of course, we live in a day, in an age of opinions. Opinions 
seem to be uh, so important to everything that goes on in public life and so on. And whether those opinions are on matters of uh, political matters or news and current affairs, whether they're to do with the great issues uh, that we see going on around us, or whether they are just about a product or a service that some company may be uh, trying to uh, get us to consider. Uh, opinions. So much today is opinion-driven. And of course, we're coming through, aren't we, the global pandemic. And uh, so often we've seen um, on the news the, uh, the government briefing. And you turn on the TV before the briefing begins. And what do you see? You see people who are gathered to express opinions. Experts, maybe, who are saying what it is that they think is going to be said by the government minister or by the prime minister in today's briefing. And then the briefing begins and is delivered. And then after, they go back again to the newsroom. And what do they do? Well, it's often the same experts or they bring others in to give opinions about what has been said. Opinions, opinions, opinions. They're given all the time. And possibly we may think of ourselves that, well, I'm just one very small individual. And my opinion doesn't count for very much. But on this matter, or this question, what think ye of Christ? What is your view of him? We're not being asked merely for our opinion. We're being asked, what is your attitude towards the Lord Jesus Christ? We're being asked at the same time, do you have any form of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? So much more than just a matter of opinion. But it is life-changing and vital. It's something that every single one of us ought to give due weight to and to, to consider very deeply. What think ye of Christ? Because upon this depends the salvation of our souls. Well, to set the scene and to make uh, a small point, we do need here to consider the context. Because this question of the Lord Jesus Christ, given to a group of Pharisees who were questioning him, comes at the end of a fairly lengthy interaction between the Lord Jesus Christ and a number of groups and individuals who came to speak with him. The Gospel of Mark, in his account, tells us that these events took place within the temple. So not only were the individuals or the groups who came to question the Lord Jesus Christ in the hearing of these things, but all who would have stood around. And many would have been listening in to the questions and the answers given by the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course we know from where this occurs, that this event took place in the very last week of our Saviour's earthly ministry, before he went to the cross of Calvary. This is at the end of his public ministry, before his crucifixion. And in verse 15, where the questioning begins, we see, first of all, the Pharisees, and they took counsel, and they sent unto him their disciples, and they grouped together with the Herodians, and they came to question the Lord Jesus Christ. They begin by flattering him, 
and they call him Master. And they say, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. And then they present their question. So they appear to flatter, but their question, well, it is so revealing. Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? They were attempting to ensnare him and to trap him. But they tell us so much about their own attitude too. They tell us that, uh, that their concerns were merely worldly concerns. It's all about the here and now. These were more important to them than matters of the soul, spiritual things, about a true and meaningful relationship with our God. But as Jesus answers so wisely, and shows that, yes, there are earthly responsibilities that we have, but our uh, responsibilities toward God transcend and are of greater weight and have a, a, a pressing uh, obligation upon us. They serve our earthly obligations, serve our heavenward obligations towards Almighty God and must always be subservient to them. And then secondly, come the Sadducees and they're a different group. They were the liberals of their day. They were a group who denied uh, anything that was uh, supernatural. Specifically, we're told in the scripture that they were those who denied the resurrection. And their question. Their question was about the resurrection. So here they're seeking uh, to use something that they have no belief in themselves. It's a cynical question regarding the afterlife, something about which they had no true belief whatsoever. And as the Savior speaks to them, he pulls the carpet from underneath their feet because he makes them aware that there is a resurrection, that all will stand before Almighty God. And those who are received into eternal glory, well, they're different in their life, their experiences, different in character, different in kind from our mere earthly existence. And he draws from that uh, verse from the Old Testament, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. This is not something that is in the past. I am the God of Abraham. And though Abraham has died and passed from the earthly scene, God continues to be the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living and the multitude. The watching crowd were astonished at the... the doctrine that he spoke, how wise it was, how far superior to anything that they had heard from their earthly teachers. And then thirdly, a legal expert is sent by the Pharisees, and he represents those who are self-righteous. What is the great commandment in the law? Which is the greatest of the commandments? And the assumption is that this is something that we can keep. This is something that I have kept 
we might say, of the speaker, the one who asks this question. And the uh, answer of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, well, it really says that it's not to do with outward religious observance. This is a matter of uh, a relationship with God. This is about being given entirely to him and to his worship. These are standards which are impossible for any of us to keep. And his self-righteousness is completely smashed. And in answering these questions, the Lord Jesus Christ then responds with this question, What think ye of Christ? But there's a point that I want to make here, you see. The questions asked by the Sadducees, by the Pharisees, and by this lawyer came from the hearts, came from the minds of those who had already made up their minds. They had a deep-seated prejudice against the Lord Jesus Christ. And so his question, when it came, uh, it, they were, it was going to bounce off them. They would refuse really to engage with this question. Their questioning of him shows the extent to which they would seek to undermine his work and his ministry and testimony to the people. And uh, we need to be warned by that. We're going to consider this question, what think ye of Christ? But have we, like these groups, already made up our minds? Have we indeed closed our minds to considering the reality of who he is and all that he came to accomplish? Even as we begin to think of this question, are our eyes glazing over? Is it just going to wash over us and have no impact upon us? Because surely we see here that even the enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ by, have borne inadvertent testimony to who he really is. And all of their uh, withstanding of him has only served to show how wonderful he is in his person, how glorious is his character, and only actually emphasize the great work that he came to accomplish here upon the earth. And it may be the same of us. We may refuse to engage with this question, we may resist all attempts for Christ to appeal to us within this question. But we will only, by our resistance, show how wonderful he is, how kind, how patient, that he should not sweep us into a lost eternity immediately. And our refusal even to engage only shows the wonder in ever greater relief of what he came to accomplish. Well, now let me ask this of you. What think ye of Christ? We need to ask this question of ourselves. Do we think of Christ? Do we really think of him and consider him? You see, the vast majority of present-day society, particularly in the Western world, thinks nothing of Christ will do everything that they possibly can to shut out any thought of him. There's that verse, isn't there, in Psalm 10, verse 4. God, this is speaking of the wicked, God is not in all his thoughts. 
And isn't that true of the majority of us before we're brought to seek and to find the Lord Jesus Christ? We don't want to think of him. We want to shut him out. We don't want anything that troubles us and makes us consider uh, the reality of a soul and the fact that one day when this life ends, we must stand before him in judgment and therefore we'll do anything in our power not to think of him. Or maybe our thought of Christ is this, I don't need him. I've got no need of religion. I feel self-contained. I have a life, and it's a life of ups and downs, but relative success and happiness and joy, a measure of satisfaction, and I live my life, and therefore I, I feel I have no need of this Christ, this Jesus, of whom you and of whom this Bible speaks. And it's something, therefore, that I shut out, I have no experience of, and therefore I never have any feeling that I need it. At this point, I I might tell you about my eating habits. I'm very conservative when it comes to eating food. And my wife is always saying to me, just try it. You don't know what it tastes like until you've tried it. And you know, if we say we have no need of Christ, it's as bad as me with an unknown dish, an unknown item of food. You've not tried it. See, how do you know you don't like it? You've never engaged with Christ. You've never investigated his claims. How do you know that you don't need him? Oh, don't be so foolish as I am with what may be a very appetizing dish and say, I've never tried it and I'm not going to try it. Or I'm I'm missing out, perhaps on an eating experience. But you're missing out on something much more fundamental to do with the eternal destiny of your soul. Oh, we need him. Others think he's not relevant. You're talking to me about someone And if he did exist, many, of course, uh, just use this as an excuse. If he did exist, he lived 2,000 and more years ago. What relevance does he have for me today? And therefore, I refuse to think of him. I won't engage with him because this is so ancient. Ah, but the minute we begin to take him seriously and we begin to look at the accounts of his glorious and gracious words and we see his compassion and his kindness and we begin to understand all that he came to accomplish in suffering and dying upon the cross. We see that he is so relevant today because he addresses man's greatest need. He alone has the answer to the greatest need of all mankind. Oh, he is so relevant even though so ancient. Others just outright refuse him. I don't want a saviour. I don't want this Messiah. I don't want this Jesus Christ because I regard him as someone who just wants to interfere in my life. Someone who, and taking uh, 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 some aspects of the word of God out of context, who always says, 
Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. It's just a killjoy. I've got a life that I want to live, experiences I want to have, and all he ever seems to say, this is our thinking, is that you can't do this, you mustn't do that, this is sinful, this is wrong, this is condemned. But again, it's ignorance. What think ye of Christ? To refuse to think of him is to be ignorant. Oh yes, sin is named Sin is identified and its consequences are clearly laid before us. But it's all in kindness to show us the consequences, what will happen. And alongside of all those things, and if we take these things seriously, we're brought to a situation of no hope, no opportunity for eternal life. But alongside that, Christ comes with salvation in his hands. Christ comes with the offer of pardon and forgiveness. Christ is the answer to those things. Oh, don't refuse him because of an imagined view of him that sees him as simply a killjoy. Nothing could be further from the truth. Others think more of the world than they think of Christ because it's material. I can touch it. I can experience it. I can possess the world and the things here. Matters of the soul seem so, so difficult to pin down, so hard really to rationalize. And so we refuse those things. So foolish, because my material body, my material existence is a tiny fraction of the real me. The real me is not my physical body and its comforts and the things that I can possess. All those things are helps and should point the way to the Savior and make us to desire him, not distract us from him. And to engage in those things is to give ourselves to what is really just the, the tiny bits and pieces and to ignore the fundamental me, the soul, resident for a time in a human body, living here on this earth, but to know him, to walk with him, to have forgiveness of sins. So to live for this world, how foolish, when it must all be left behind, and in my naked soul, to stand before him as my judge. And others have no desire for a relationship with him. No love for him. Do we think of Christ? We must think of Christ. We must think of him. Let me give you three reasons why we must think of Christ. Who he is demands it. He is the second person of the glorious Trinity, the Son of the living God. To have no view of him or to shut him out is to shut out the most powerful force, if I can use that term, of one who is indeed a person, a spirit, the most powerful force in the universe, the creator, the one who has made all things. The one before whom, the one who has made me 
and before whom I must stand and give an account. He is so wonderful. In his earthly life, his perfect obedience of all of God's holy law surpassed every other human uh, performance. All other human uh, lives were as nothing compared to him. He is the son of the living God. Who it is demands it. What he has done secondly demands that we think of him. Why should God, in the person of his son, come into this world so tainted by sin, so full of rebellion against him? Well, it was his mighty love for sinners, mighty love for such as we are. But not only did he enter into this world and become a man, but as a man, he went to the cross of Calvary. And as he hung there on the cross, God punished him in the place of everyone that would be saved. Why would he go through such excruciating agony and know the, the force, that moment of forsakenness when God the Father turned his back upon him and punished him in the place of those that would be saved? Why would he go through in those few hours, an eternity of woe, not just for one, but for billions that would be saved. Well, because it is man's greatest need to have sin washed away. It is our only hope. And the fact that he was prepared to do all that demands that we think of him. And thirdly, my eternal destiny depends upon my relationship, my thinking, my attitude towards the Lord Jesus Christ. This is vital. On one side, if I turn to him, it is to my eternal advantage and blessing and to his glory. But if I turn from him, if I refuse him, if I never trust him, it is to my eternal woe and to be away from him for all eternity. Do you think of Christ? You must think of him. But then, let's look at this question again. What think ye of Christ? This demands a personal response. What think ye of Christ? And it's almost as though the finger of the Saviour is pointing at each one of us here this morning. Not what do, do your parents think. Not what do others think. What do you think of Christ? And we can't but hide behind the attitudes of others in this vital matter. We can't, for example, rely on a Christian upbringing. That's a wonderful blessing to be brought up in a Christian home to love and respect the word of God, to be taught the things of God. That's not enough. What do you think of Christ? What is your relationship with him? Coming along to church, it's not enough. Where do you stand? What do you think of Christ? And this morning, each one of us, if we can't say that we've trusted 
in the Saviour, if our thought of him is not that he is the only hope that we have for the forgiveness of sins, pardon and for new life, well then our attitudes and our thoughts of him and of God will be shaped by others. Others will dictate how it is that we think of him. Their scepticism becomes my scepticism. Their scorn and laughter. It's so hard if we've never trusted the Saviour. And we're in a workplace where perhaps ridicule is poured upon high and holy things. It's so hard to resist those things unless we have come to love and to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. It rubs off on us. And very soon we find that their scorn and laughter becomes ours. All these things are so important. Now, we've got a number of grandchildren. Some of them have been to visit us this weekend. And the younger ones love to say to Grandad, Grandad, build me a tower. They get the building blocks out. And they ask me to build a tower. It has to use every single one of the bricks. Oh, it's an elaborate structure. By the time it's been made, it takes a while to get it up. And once it's complete, the smile creeps across their face. And they come along and they dash it down in in an instant. But you know, if we've never come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, all the benefit and the blessing of that upbringing, all the things that we have known can so quickly be smashed and be removed. And how often we hear of people who have gone off into the world and within months, certainly within years, we're shocked to hear how far they have wandered, how deep now they are in uh, their rebellion against God. And it's it's a warning to us. What do we think? What is my personal response? Because if this morning I don't have that living relationship with him, and know him to be my saviour and lord. The warning is that it may be that I'll wander very far from him and never turn. So do take these things seriously. Here's something intriguing. This is like a question that you've never heard before. Because it's a question that contains the answer. Imagine you you were going in to to sit an exam. And uh, I can only speak in terms of maths. But there's the question in front of you. And alongside the question, the answer's been printed. How helpful, how wonderful would that be? Oh, there's the question and there's the answer. It's so easy now. And that's the same with this question that the Lord Jesus Christ answers. What... Think ye of Christ. And in the name he uses, the answer is given. He is Christ. He is, and of course this would have uh, been very apparent, patent to those who were before him. The Pharisees, those who were steeped in the ancient law, they knew their Bibles. The Sadducees, yes, they were liberals, but, but they understood 
much of the teaching of the Old Testament. They knew these things. And the very word Christ would have been full of meaning, would have carried a world of meaning to each and every one of them. The answer was given, what think ye of Christ? He is the one foretold in the Old Testament. All of the uh, ceremonial, all of the ancient offerings that were made, and the law itself, all of the practices and the histories and the prophecies of the Old Testament spoke of one that was to come, one who was uh, the Messiah, one who was set apart by Almighty God to be the saviour of his people. The Old Testament revealed him as Emmanuel, God with us. He was to have a unique birth. He was to come and yet he was to suffer and to die, all predicted. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Saviour, as he walked before them, all of these things were being fulfilled before their eyes. What think ye of Christ? We need to see him as he really is. We need to understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is. We need to see all that he came to accomplish. We need to see that these things were predicted and then fulfilled in detail. Prophecy after prophecy, prediction after prediction, picture after picture, perfectly fulfilled in what the Lord Jesus Christ came to do. But let's look for, as we come towards the end, at the response of the Pharisees to this question. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. And they were right. They knew their Bibles. Their answer was correct as far as it went. But of course, they didn't take into account. They weren't prepared to accept the implications and the consequences of their answer. The deep reality embedded in the question and their answer to that question. Because he was indeed the son of David. But he was one of whom David spoke. David himself as a penman of scripture, was a prophet uh, regarding the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here the Lord Jesus Christ refers them to Psalm 110. He, he, go, he says, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. Here, quoting, as I said, from Psalm 110. You see, these Pharisees, as they answered uh, the question of the Lord Jesus Christ, they, uh, they understood so much, they had a certain amount of knowledge, but they weren't prepared to accept uh, the, the reality of the situation, that here uh, David is inspired to call the coming Messiah, the one to come, his Lord. He was at one and the same time to be both the son of David, 
but also the one to whom David would look as his Lord and as his Saviour. Now, uh, we look at the difficulty, and this is the uh, sticking point for the Pharisees, we look at the difficulty of the son of David also being made his Lord. That seems so hard. How is it possible that he at the same, one and the same time could be the son of David, but also to be his Lord, but the Lord Jesus Christ? In bringing this to their attention is striving to show them the even more amazing reality. It's more amazing to look at this the other way round. How is it possible that David's Lord should so humble himself as to become his son? That's the, the astonishing reality. That's the thing that should move and amaze us. Not to think of how it's possible for someone who is a son to be the Lord, but how the Lord, the Lord should become his sons. And though they were highly trained in the law, they just could not grasp this. This meant little to them. And yet the simplest Christian and person who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the reality that we grasp. For us, it shows something of the wonder and the mystery of the incarnation that somehow the Son of God, God, should be found in human form, compressed into the frame of a little babe born in Bethlehem. Astonishing. David bowed to the Savior as Lord, having never seen him. And of course, we uh, look back, we have the advantage of seeing and hearing of the entire life and ministry of the Saviour and of his sufferings and death upon the cross. You see, it's possible, and this is a warning to us, it's possible to have a tremendous amount of knowledge. In answer to the question, what think ye of Christ? We may, like those Pharisees, know so much, be able to quote chapter and verse. But it goes far beyond just that. Or here we're beginning to see that it is so much more. We'll see in a moment uh, what it, the great conclusion that it comes to. The picture here, and David was able to see this. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand. He saw Christ sitting in a position of rule and rest, having accomplished a great work. This was not an honor that he took himself, but he is invested with dignity and honor, having accomplished the great work that he has come to do. And David foresaw all of that. He speaks here of enemies being subdued. And that's what Christ came to do. He came to subdue the enemy of sin that will sweep us into a lost eternity if unforgiven. That great enemy of every one of us, the consequence of sin, death, defeated by the Saviour upon the cross, the enemy of our souls, and even we ourselves, enemies 
of God, enemies of the Saviour, because of our sin, we also need to be subdued and humbled. But as we come to an end, the Lord, David is inspired to say, said unto my Lord. And that appropriating word, my Lord, is what it's all about. What think ye of Christ? It's all about him being my Lord, being brought into a relationship. Not distant, not far off, not unknowable, but in all that he did, as we repent of our sin, brought near, as our enemies are defeated, he becomes my Lord. It's about knowing him personally. What think ye of Christ? I, re I know when, whenever we go shopping and you see one of those uh, slightly larger-than-life characters usually carrying a clipboard and they're bounding in front of people trying to engage them and get their opinions on various things, we always say, don't make eye contact. Don't look them in the eye and then you can avoid speaking to them. But you know, it's not me that comes to you with this question this morning. It's the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Don't have that same attitude. Don't avoid eye contact with the Saviour. Don't refuse to hear his tender question to you. He comes to you, each one this morning, what think ye of me? Do you know me personally? Don't shut all thoughts of the Saviour out and ignorantly pass by that which could bring you into this relationship of which David speaks, so that he now becomes your Lord, your Saviour, your heavenly friend. May it be that every one of us thinks seriously, what think you of Christ? And turn to him in repentance and faith. May the Lord help us each one to do so for his glory. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is the hymn 527. Hymn 527. How sad our state by nature is, our sin, how deep it stains.
Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee for our dear Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank Thee for who He is and for all that He came to do. We thank Thee for His glorious and wonderful saving power, and we pray that that power may be known and felt in each and every one of us, and that we may be able to say that He is our Lord, our Saviour, and our Heavenly Friend. And now, our gracious God, as we turn to uh, uh, this celebration of the sufferings and death of the Saviour on the cross for us, how we thank Thee for the broken body, the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that Thou prepare us for this time together, that it may be so precious to us each one. O Lord, forgive us for our many sins. Restore again the joy of our salvation. We pray that these moments of quiet reflection upon that on which our soul's salvation depends may strengthen us and furnish us and prepare us for all that lies before us in this week to come. And our remembrance of our Saviour's love for us may give us also that bright hope for things future when we shall see our Saviour come again and join in that marriage supper of the Lamb so be with us in this time around thy table, and bless us, we pray. For we ask, in the name of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, for his sake. Amen.